0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Small Biz Gone Viral, a Tuesday morning podcast that explores the real-world impacts the pandemic is having on small businesses and the humans that run them. I'm your host and small business owner, Grant LeBeau. Today's guest is business coach Audrey Holst. She will share what kinds of anxieties she was seeing from her clients, the advice she gives to them, and maybe even sprinkle in some advice for you. But first, our fun fact. Yay! Our fun fact this week is not fun at all. 11 months into the pandemic and small businesses are reporting a drop in revenue of, on average, 30%. Small biz revenues have been on a slow and steady decline from the 20% benchmark set in the summer of 2020, slowly trickling farther and farther away from their pre-COVID revenues, down almost a full third relative to where they were before this god-awful pandemic started. If you liked those numbers, you're in for a treat because up next is Facts and Figures. Each week we do a brief quantitative summary of what's going on in the world of COVID, unemployment, and the stock market. We start this week with some good news. The number of active COVID cases in the world is down 20% from five weeks ago. Worldwide active cases fell for the first time at the beginning of February and has since dropped each week since. The US was seeing a similar decline, but for reasons I haven't figured out yet, we plateaued last week, holding steady at 70,000 new cases each day. This is in spite of 1.5 million vaccines being administered each day, with now one in eight Americans vaccinated. Though one in eight might not sound great, keep in mind the vaccine rollout strategy was designed to hit the most vulnerable populations the earliest. So while the spreaders, aka the young, haven't yet been immunized, those most likely to die from COVID, aka the elderly, have been vaccinated. My uneducated hypothesis is the result of this strategy will yield a mortality rate that will drop faster than the overall rate of spread. Yet to be seen, though, how that hypothesis pans out. On to the economy, which I'm almost getting sick of talking about because it's basically the same thing every week. An insane number of people filed for unemployment. 730,000 people last week alone, a number that would have been record-setting prior to COVID, but instead is just so average. And the stock market just cruises onward and upward, staying, hovering, remaining in record territory, artificially pumped up by record low interest rates. Good news is the second round of PPP is mid-rollout, so at least small businesses have something to celebrate, and there may actually be yet more to come. As a $2 trillion, well, $1.9 trillion pandemic rescue package looks like it should be passing through Congress in the next week or so. And on that note, let's quickly talk about ways to support small businesses. One, obviously, buy from them. Two, Comment, rate, review online, and, hear me out, in real life. Tell your friends about the small businesses you like and you'd like to see succeed and why. And number three, just like all their content, their posts, whatever, on social, Twitter, Insta, I don't know, eHarmony, whatever your favorite thing is. These three things add up, trust me. And last thing before we get to our interview, some exciting news, at least for me, I started a new business that I want to share with you called Maker Day. That's M-K-R-D-A-Y, all about makers. I'm embarrassed that it took me so long to think of it, but after 44 episodes of listening to small business owners share their struggles and how they are looking for new revenue streams, I tried to come up with my own and came up with Maker Day, which creates unforgettable remote group experiences. Whether it's a team building or client entertainment, Maker Day connects groups to small business owners who lead an hour or so long Zoom, where participants get to try, let's say, the chocolate made by the owner of a chocolate company, and then learn from that chocolatier how to make truffles, or try kombucha, and then after the tasting, move on to brewing your own kombucha, taught by the head brewmaster and co-owner of that kombucha company. One of my favorites here locally, Babe Kombucha. We just launched with our first six makers, which means we are going to be looking for more makers and, of course, more customers. If you have either, email A to Z at MakerDay.com. That's A, the number two, and then Z. Like, you know, an encyclopedia that has everything you need to know. A to Z at MakerDay.com or go to MakerDay.com for more info. That's M-K-R-D-A-Y. And with that, interview time. My guest today is Audrey Holst. Audrey helps people reform their perfectionism so they can reclaim their agency and put their full energy into what really matters. Her work uses a combination of mindfulness and neuroscience tools and combines over a decade of experience teaching yoga with deep knowledge of the nervous system and extensive training and work as a certified professional coach. Through her fortitude and flow process, Audrey guides individuals and groups through a holistic experience to shift the way they approach themselves and the things that matter to them for good. Audrey, thanks so much for being here.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: To, to get started, I think that the phrase and kind of world in general of, of personal coaching is quite broad. Yeah. So to start, what is fortitude and flow?
1: So fortitude and flow is a process that I take my clients through to help them have tools that they can handle their life better. It's kind of the the short story of it all. Um Mindfulness is a really powerful practice, but even when I use the word mindfulness, people bring to mind this very specific and rigid practice, which often keeps them from being able to practice it or use it in any practical way. So in order to get people the benefits of mindfulness without getting them hung up on all the like so-called ways you're supposed to do it, I take them through this process, which essentially teaches them how to use meditation and mindfulness techniques in their everyday life in a very doable and human way.
0: I, I like that is I feel like I, I could use some of that. You're probably thinking, couldn't we all? That's why. I have yeah, this I would
1: love if everybody would do it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, what is the what does that look like from a from a business model?
1: So, I have uh, an individual. I have one-on-one coaching clients. So, people will come in and work with me specifically on their particular. I will call it their particular brand of perfectionism, because the most of the people that come in are. Really high achieving, high highly motivated people who have gotten very far in their lives with a very specific way of doing things, but then they've kind of hit this this plateau, for lack of a better word. I don't like to use it in terms of hierarchies, but it is kind of this feeling of like, I can't quite get where I want to go. So people will come to me one-on-one and I'll work with them individually. And then I also um, teach workshops and I have a group membership that I work with people on a regular basis around the same, the same principles that I use in the, in the fortitude and flow process.
0: And at least uh, as of 2019, early 2020, where were you getting your clients from? How many clients ish were you working with on a, on an annual basis? And were they in person or over this thing that no one had ever heard of called Zoom?
1: (laughs) I actually do a lot of my coaching on the phone because I like to be able to be, so my, we'll get here, but my, my background is in movement. It's in yoga. And I tie that into the coaching that I do. So a lot of the times when I'm coaching, I have people moving around and it's very difficult to do with Zoom. So phone calls people will sometimes go for walks people will sometimes move around the house sometimes i'll i'll coach them through some sort of movement um so i've been using the phone that that old that old phone thing i remember um, what that is <laughs> remember that um i've been using that for a long time and and i you know i would meet with zoom a lot of the times if i'm doing a a kind of get to know somebody session if they've not interacted with me before i'll i'll meet with them via zoom cuz so they can see i'm a human um but clients were typically, typically referrals and also a lot of people in my professional circles um, because people would start to get to know me and they'd start to get to know my work and they'd start to be like, oh, like you said, that's actually something I really need. Um, so a lot, of my, a lot of my clients were coming from, from my professional networks.
0: And it, it seems like fortitude and flow emphasizes sort of re- redefining or, or moving away from perfectionism. Have you had an experience of of changing your mindset away from "I need to be perfect," and has that maybe helped or, or changed the way that you conduct business?
1: Oh yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, it, you know, being being an entrepreneur, and I'm sure this is again something we will get into later. But being an entrepreneur is a constant unvelcroing from getting things perfect. Absolutely nothing gets accomplished from a a perfectionist perspective, especially in the world of business and especially in the world of business that gets hit by things like, you know, global pandemics.
0: Right. One of those businesses. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's a lot of the things I think a lot of people in my, in my industry, you know, we teach what we know, we teach what we understand. So it's certainly been something that I have gone through myself personally. um, And it just makes it a little bit easier to, it, it's something I'm, it's ongoing, right? This is not something that is, I see perfectionism as a survival technique. So it's something that is wired in us in a very particular way. And that is something that is always, uh, you know, unvelcrowing layer by layer and piece by piece.
0: First of all, I love that term, unvelcrowing because it just, it brings such a, like a, a specific visual in my in my head of something that's semi-permanent, but it's not doing a great job. And it makes it's it's a bit awkward to remove, but once you do, it's clean and allows you to to uh, make perhaps more of a permanent or concrete or uh, less of a duct tape solution to something. Yeah, a, a good word choice.
1: <laughs> hey, thanks. <laughs> uh,
0: so, as you know, the this first segment we called it the, the pre-COVID or the before-COVID set, and is basically to kind of. Um, establish what business was like for you headed into COVID. So just a a couple of kind of early quantitative things. One, you are a sole proprietorship. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Uh, Two, uh, did you mention earlier about how many clients you're working with or how many clients were you planning on working with in 2020?
1: Yeah, I was basically planning on doubling the amount of clients that I was working with. It was, it was basically, the long story short is I was planning on doubling business in 2020. I was planning on doubling the amount of clients I was working with. I was planning on, you're probably already getting to these questions, but I'm kind of jumping the, jumping the ship on this. No, no, no These are all about, what,
0: what was planned in an <laughs> ideal non-pandemic world? Yeah. What was planned for 2020? <laughs> what were your so, realistic so, goals?
1: Yeah. My realistic goals is business was set to to double essentially. I have a very small bootstrapped you know practice and um, coming from a background of a yoga teacher, yoga studio manager, yoga brick and mortar co-owner. So coming into this venture with like not a ton of capital and again, bootstrapping things, but I was set to uh, ready to like basically double my business. I was set to release my, my book in the summer and um i was like at the starting line just ready like ready to go essentially very excited about 2020 i remember in 2019 the visions i had of 2020 and how excited i was and i was so sure it was going to be a year like no other which
0: well nailed it
1: (laughs) I probably could have been more specific about what kind of year like no other I was expecting, but here we yeah,
0: are. Yeah, if you could use uh, uh, better modifiers and and, uh, and adjectives when you're making that wish to the genie next time. Exactly. Yep. Totally. Yes, a year like no other in a good way, please. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Lesson learned.
0: Well, uh, it seems like you're you're eager to tell us about what happened in COVID or is continuing to happen and and I'm sure there are all sorts of lessons learned um, and maybe pivots along the way but before we move on to our mid-COVID segment it is time of course for our guests unsponsor an unsponsor is an awesome company run by awesome people producing an awesome product they don't pay for a shout out but they deserve one anyway so Audrey tell us who is today's show not brought to us by
1: Today's show is not brought to us by Cooks Organics.
0: And why should our listeners uh, go to cooksorganics.com?
1: Well, it's possible that during the pandemic and maybe before, and possibly. Now and going on forever. Uh, sleep is kind of a challenge, especially when you've had a stressful day, and especially when you're trying to like wind down. And so, one of the things that can be actually really helpful is using magnesium, which is one of those one of those things that we often think about supplements as like something we take orally. But magnesium cream, which is what Cook's Organics really specializes in, is this cream that you can put on the soles of your feet or open on the inside of your wrist It gets absorbed into your skin. And it is magic. Like if you're a restless leg syndrome person, if you're somebody that just like really has a hard time falling asleep, you put a little bit of cream on the bottom of your feet, it gets absorbed in put some socks on and like, you are good to go. And that may sound kind of strange to people who are not familiar with like the actions of magnesium and how it is absorbed best through the skin or haven't like felt that before, but it's pretty awesome. And it smells real good.
0: One of the things that I like about this show about hosting this show is learning and about obviously the experiences of of other small business owners but one of kind of the the ripple effects of that is thinking about businesses and industries that have that that ordinarily I wouldn't think twice about, um, not because just because they don't you know because I don't use them or or I'm not um, you know they're not integrated into my day to day life, but seeing how they are impacted. And I of course I bet you that through the pandemic that the sales of uh, sleep tools has probably skyrocketed because everyone is more stressed. Everyone has, or not everyone, but lots of people, more people are having trouble sleeping. Uh, so just food for thought.
1: 100%. Uh, yeah.
0: So cook, cooksorganics.com, magnesium creams, helps you sleep. Uh, everyone needs some. Okay, great. Yeah, get it. <laughs> uh, all right, let's get right into our mid-COVID set and talk about uh, you know all of the ways that that you have been impacted. So uh, I think one of the easier ways to kind of start things off is is on um, through the lens of a timeline, which is to start by saying, "What was the first impact you felt on your business from the pandemic?"
1: So I think that I think the first thing that I need to talk about is the fact that while I was while I've been getting my my business up and running, I also was still teaching at the yoga studio. So that was something that was basically in conjunction, running alongside both of these things at the same time. So my first initial impact, because it was so visceral, because I was in person with people, was I remember starting to feel nervous about teaching. And that was the week of like of um, March. I remember March 13th, which was Friday the 13th, was the last day I taught class That was very like, you know that's just it's so it's just too funny. I mean that that data stuck in my head now forever for so many reasons. but I remember feeling uncomfortable that's when I was starting to feel really uncomfortable being near people because all of the news was starting to come in and it was starting to be like very clear that something was not right and we weren't really sure and we so I remember teaching class that night and students being visibly, you know, some of them coming in, like no big deal. Some of them kind of coming in, like looking to me to be like, are things going to be okay? And me being like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't, I'm not a expert on whatever this thing is. So I remember teaching that class and then um, communicating to the to the studio owner, um, who was actually my former business partner. We, we were having a conversation and I was like, I can't, I can't teach. It's, I can't teach in person anymore. Like this is, this is not feeling comfortable. And, and the next day the studio closed. Um, so that was sort of the first thing that was happening. And so on the, on the back end, the business was, the business was running right. I had my, my current clients that were on, and it was a very clear point that all of a sudden people were going to need like people are going to be needing support and some of the tools I had in a way that like was easily accessible. So I started reaching out to my, to my network and just like, I literally at that point wasn't even thinking about, and this is maybe, you know, this is my, my mindset. And obviously I, everybody does sort of what works for them in the moment, but I, um, reached out and was like, what do people need? Like, what is, what are they in need? What does my community need? What are the people around me need? And, um, So I started having a lot of conversations. I ran a couple of free, free meditations because people were just like wanting to kind of get their brains. Okay. Um, I was offering a couple of, of just like one-off sessions for people just to kind of have a conversation, feel a little bit better. I also moved my business to a pay what you want model because I realized that people really needed what I was offering and at the price point that I was offering it at may not be accessible to the people that that needed it so I went to pay what you want which again some people could be like well that was stupid why would you do that Uh, you know and I'm saying what was important to me and what was important for for supporting the people around me that felt like a really good move
0: and that was for fortitude and flow
1: that's for fortitude and flow yeah yes yeah so So
0: separate from the from the yoga
1: yes so yeah I should be clear that um March thirteenth was the last time I taught a class in person. Um, I think I did one more virtual class for the studio after that, but after that, it, it I was no longer no longer teaching at the studio, so that was no longer an income stream for me. Then it was then I transitioned full time into the into the business.
0: So I was going to ask you about that that income stream because I know you like m- myself, like m- many of my guests, were as an entrepreneur, you often have sort of the either the passion project or the business that is developing, that is often supported by a perhaps more established business or traditional nine to five, a a litany of options. And you, like you said, you had been a co-owner at one point of, of that yoga studio and then manager. Mm -hmm. And then you were teaching as a way I think of supporting growth of fortitude and flow. Yep. What was that like for you? Uh, I guess financially and then also um mentally spiritually et cetera, <laughs> as you know the pandemic happens, so you and and your crutch sort of your your established your, your support your guaranteed revenue flow revenue stream is essentially wiped out on that Friday the thirteenth what was that like for you? <laughs>
1: it was it's so interesting because i remember and and i've heard other people talk about it this way also which it which is very interesting my initial reaction was very calm like i was super calm about it because it was like for the first time everybody was shut down it's like everybody just had to stop And there was something about that moment of, oh, like none of us can do anything. Like none of us can do anything. We just can't do anything. There was something about that that felt almost like a relief, which sounds real weird to say that way, but that's the way it felt. It was like a relief that everything just kind of ground to a halt. And it felt like some space that had never existed before, especially in this very high what felt like a very high pressure, constantly going, 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 going in the business world. It just, everything slowed down and we all just kind of looked around and we're like, okay, this is weird. Right. That's when, that's the time period where people were posting pictures of like empty streets with like deer running down it, or, you know, the birds are singing in places they've never sung before. Right. That was making a
0: comeback. Right.
1: Right. And I remember very clearly the conversations where people were joking around, like, oh man, could you imagine if we were still doing this in August? Like we were at that point, we had no idea what the scale of this was. And we were like, cool. So we basically got like two months off, you know, that kind of, it was kind of felt like that. And so (laughs) literally about this time and I, um, I, uh, I had been on a, uh, like basically a support I don't know what the word is. It was basically like a support webinar teaching thing with the, with my current coach. And she was basically, she's very highly connected. And she basically was like, listen, this is what's going to happen. This is what you can expect. This pandemic whole thing is not going to be over for the next 12 to 18 months. And I remember her saying that and me like not being able to put the dots together. I was like, did she say 12 to 18 months? That's that doesn't make any sense. Like, I couldn't conceive that. Of course, yeah, she's d- like, completely does not cute right. Yeah, she's completely right. And then she was like, listen, after the pandemic, there's going to be a recovery phase, which is going to be another, you know, X amount of month. Now, at this point, I don't even remember what she what she said, because at that point, my brain was still stuck on this is going to be 12 to 18 months. Um, And so she was basically, you know, we were talking about how do we pivot our businesses to serve the people that we need to serve and then also take this timeline into consideration because this is the reality of what we're going to be looking at for the next 12 to 18 months. So of course she was right. As we went along, things did not get back to normal in August. Things did not get back to normal in September. And, um, and I, at the time was just starting, I we got into the pandemic and I realized that the, um, I think this is something that a couple of people have said too, is that the pandemic created a lot of clarity. Like anything that was slightly fluffy with my process went out the door because I was like, people need to be able to grasp concepts immediately and be able to use them like in a pandemic under pressure under stress and not have to be like, wait, what was the thing that I was supposed to remember? So I end up slash so at the same time I was writing my book. So I end up slashing a bunch of content in the book. I end up pivoting the book because a lot of my stuff was around burnout at the time. It got transitioned into perfectionism because i realized that was actually the conversation i wanted to be having so like in the meantime while i'm running the business and like keeping things going forward i'm also having a pivot within the business that was happening in terms of my positioning i'm also all of a sudden now i've slashed half of my book and i'm rewriting half of the book um you know i've moved my model to a pay what you can so it's it was and you know my, my businesses, you know, the investor essentially that I was using with my business was no longer available. So it became this sort of like, okay, we're going, we're doing these things, this is getting slashed, this is getting changed. It was like moving parts all over the place. So it was like first the calm and then the like, oh my gosh. And and then it, then I started to realize like, oh, this is actually where we're living. Like this is where we're gonna be living for, for a while. Um, and that was, that was like, yeah, that was, that was a whole different, yeah. <laughs> different situation.
0: <laughs> I feel like that that's, you were probably in a relatively unique situation. If you, what once you got past that disbelief, but if you were able to know, or even if you were m- moving forward with the assumption that it would take another 12 to 18 months, to still be in the pandemic. And then of course there'll be a recovery period. I feel like that allows, or, or yeah, what it would allow you to sort of avoid the, the pitfalls that come along with uncertainty, which is a very common theme that I hear on this show from, from people is not knowing what was coming next. And that being one of the more difficult things to plan around. Yeah. So I guess kudos to, to you and to your to your coach for being able to kind of cut through the noise and, and be maybe more realistic about how long this is this, you know, the pandemic will will, will continue on.
1: Yeah. Something that I also feel like I need to mention because I, I don't know that that a lot of people have talked about this is that so my my work changed also because the people, my clients were in crisis, right? Before I was working with people who were, you know, that it's things are pretty stable, right? But maybe they were dealing with burnout, or maybe they were dealing with, um, you know, whatever they were dealing with. But it's like the level of crisis that I that people started coming in with was completely different than what it was prior to the pandemic. You know, two of the things that I talked about a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, and I continue to do is that uncertainty and unpredictability are two of the most difficult things for us to deal with because we can't like we can't wrap our brains around it and we can't do anything with it and um so it kicks us right into the survival mode and and we have to remember too at the time that there was this extreme unpredictability on the political spectrum. So there was this happening, right? The political spectrum, things were very unpredictable there. The pandemic was extremely unpredictable and things were changing almost on a daily basis, right? It was like, don't wear masks because you're taking them away from people that need them. Oh no, now you need to wear masks all the time. Like I remember having this sort of changing judgment when I come into the grocery store where it was like, if somebody was wearing a mask I was looking at them badly because they were taking a mask away from a health worker. And then like the next week, it's like you went into the store and if you weren't wearing a mask, all of a sudden there was something wrong with you. There was this like weird reality shifting back and forth. And so I was dealing with it. My clients were dealing with it. So it was like, I was sort of having this oncoming and um, this sort of unregulated, anxious nervous system thing impacts all of us. So it's like, you know, often people would be coming in with their sort of unique anxieties, but their general pool of functioning was pretty good, right? Like people around them were just kind of living their lives. Now there are people coming to me with these like sort of anxious systems that are surrounded by a bunch of other anxious systems and nobody's like kind of figuring out how to be okay in it. So it, it, it really was like this sort of collective thing, um, that I was experiencing, In my world and maybe is helpful for other people to just to hear that because I think that a lot of a lot of conversation around this has been like okay then I just got used to the new new normal and I moved on and it's like well no we were not okay and we're still not okay like this is not okay the way we're functioning right now it's not normal and it's not we've been asked to deal with a lot that we shouldn't have to be asked to deal with so I feel like I just have to put that out there
0: sure or at least at the very least that word not prepared to deal with because we have no experience to draw from in dealing with with something like this at least not in the U.S. totally um one of the things that I I want to kind of emphasize or that that you just said that kind of that um that resonated with me was how we have continued to sort of redefine what normal is and also redefine our own judgments because looking back on it i I am a hundred percent there with you where you're like i can't believe these people are doing this and then the next week when they're not doing the opposite of that then you have that same reaction which doesn't really make any sense but information was moving quickly and it's difficult now to look back you know on things a, a year ago and try to remember how little we knew about all of these things Right? There are so many phrases and terms and uh, ideas that we're supposed to be utilizing in our day to day that we had no idea about, you know back then. Um, I, I just saw something on a little clip of this like adorable little three- year old on Instagram going around putting their hands underneath like odd looking boxes that and trying to get a hand sanitizer out of it because like, that's what, that's what they know now. Yes. So there's also, and I feel like we're, we're all sort of making these different pivots to that, to, to that, to their version of, of that little adorable toddler. Um, Has your client base shifted at all through the pandemic as like in the beginning, especially I'm curious in the beginning it seems like okay, people are undergoing all, all sorts of different stresses and could use whether it's a business coach or a therapist or something to deal with all these these huge stresses that have just sort of been thrust upon them. But also, when there's so much uncertainty, people and, and we were told to stay in our homes, and and you know this new phrase of like sheltering in place came about. Was there a delay before customers or before clients started to kind of seek you out?
1: There was a bit of, I think there was a, that period of uncertainty in my, my perspective, I mean, based on sort of what I was seeing with, with, with people coming in or um, interest in my work, there was sort of a surge around September where people were like, I, I need, I need what you're, I know what you're up to and I need it um so I think that there was a bit of a and and also when I when I changed the pay what you want model I offered it to people who were already in my in my circle right who were already paying me at full price because I realized that a lot of people's income were being affected so some people did take a few people did take me up on it and um and around September it seemed like they also were like, okay, I'm feeling more steady now. I'm I'm willing to, I'm ready to like reinvest at, at what I was doing before. So I think that there was a lot of question around people's financial stability, um, you know, obviously starting in March and then going through the summer and people being like, oh, I don't really know about this. So it seemed like something happened around the September mark where people felt like things were stable enough or, or, predictable enough in some way, shape or form that they felt like, okay, I do feel like this is something that I need. I feel like this is something I can financially invest in. Um, and so yeah, that was it, my, that was my perception.
0: It seems ironic that clients would wait until there is stability in, I guess the, the phrase that we can use it, that, we, that we can uh, shine a light on that has also become normalized. Uh, that didn't make any sense prior to this is new normal. So once sort of the um, the 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 waters calmed a little bit, or or maybe we just got used to the storm. That's when people started to seek you out.
1: Yeah, and it's hard to you know it's really hard to know because another thing right that we that we went through that we haven't talked about yet is the sort of hoarding of resources that happened when everything first hit. Um, so people just like the reaction was sort of like, take it, like hold on to everything, right? Like get what you can get and like hold on to it because you don't know, you don't know what you're going to need. You don't know what, what's going to happen. Like, are we going to have food shortages? Are we going to have the supply chains completely interrupted? People like literally just panicked, right? It's just complete panic. And so I think a lot of the decisions that, that consumers were making or people were sort of dealing with, were not necessarily the most logical um and so I think that there was something about okay I've I've held on to this for like enough time and I'm starting to feel like I'm getting used to like this particular rhythm of things nothing's there hasn't been anything earth-shattering that's come out lately I feel like this is kind of where we're at so I have a feeling that that might have had something to do with it also
0: I think that if the hoarding of resources was a topic on Family Feud that the number one point getter would be toilet paper.
1: A hundred percent, and I had this experience. This was something that was very clear to me. Um, you know, like when we talk about the pandemic in the in the later times when we look back at this as like a part of our history, right? Um, I remember walking through uh, the grocery store. And looking around and seeing just empty shelves and having a panic attack, like just it was such a viscerally uh, impactful visual to see like people wandering around in these empty shelves. It was like, it was immediately panic inducing because it's like, I've never seen this before. And when you see those empty shelves, there's something about that, that feels like, will that shelf ever fill up again? You know? So yeah, like, some real serious. uh, (laughs) I remember my friend telling a story too, where she was coming down the aisle with the toilet paper. And this is when we were also very paranoid about people touching anything that was like, you know, like squeezing the toilet paper that there was like two bags of toilet paper. And this woman was like squeezing both bags. And my friend being like, don't touch like you touch it, you buy it. Like, don't touch that one. Like that one's mine. But now I don't want it because you've touched it. You know, like we were
0: nuts first of all who's squeezing it like a like it's an avocado or a melon or something you're trying (laughs) to see how ripe the toilet paper is
1: exactly i mean humanity you know
0: sure have you seen the types of help that people are seeking the type of coaching people are seeking has that evolved throughout the pandemic the sort of the reasons why they are coming to you, and and if for those established um, clients of yours who you had prior to to the pandemic, has have their needs changed over the course of the pandemic?
1: Totally, yeah, totally. Um, things have where we are. Well, I don't know if we're at where we are, but yeah, it. In the beginning, especially and and with clients, with existing clients, with incoming clients, there was very much a sort of triage feeling of stuff, where it was like, okay, like we are literally looking at a situation that we need to triage. Like, what is, what's the low hanging fruit? What needs to be sort of addressed right away? Like, literally, like what can we sort of do to come in here and and take off like as much layers of that sort of survival stress stuff, which is always an element, but it, like I said, it, things got kind of elevated and as things sort of progressed, there was a little bit, a little bit of less of that, like urgency feeling. I think people started to um, get it, you know, catch their stride or whatever the word is to acclimate a little bit yeah. more to things.
0: I think what 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 I'm hearing and imagining um, is that your role evolved more into that of therapist in that, like, you know, in some Maslow's hierarchy, an adjacent hierarchy is that you needed to sort of calm them into a place where they can then receive the coaching that you are really trying to do or that you had does that fortitude and flows is, is built around, not to say that you can't also do uh, you know, t- talk them down off that ledge back into a world where they are able to receive that information. Um, is that, am I hearing that right?
1: Yeah. And you know, it's it, to be clear, right. I'm not a therapist. It ain't my jam. And like that there was exactly right. There was a level of like having to, having to sort of take, get people on a thinking level again, because that that's the other thing that happens, right? When we're super stressed, we're in this survival mode, our thinking brain, we just lose access to it. So we lose access to us being able to see opportunities. We lose access to us being able to make clear decisions. Like we literally just can't, we, we lose access to creativity because it's not important. If you're in a survival situation, none of those things matter. Just staying alive matters. So a lot, of, a lot of the work was sort of getting people out of that place to the point where they could feel s- stable. Again, that word stable or steady enough that they're like, okay, I'm actually safe. Things are going to be okay in in whatever that means. So put that in quotes, right? This is all, all of these things, the words like normal, stable, okay, they're all in quotes because Sometimes what is that?
0: Okay. Just means you have enough toilet paper,
1: right? Sometimes that means, you know, you go only, it's only taking up two closets in your, in your house. So there was that added level of like wow people are coming in real activated and like let's take them down a few notches before we can have information be be understood and able to be worked on used
0: i'm curious based off of your timeline of of people taking maybe six months to sort of take stock and become at ease enough with this new normal and its day-to-day stresses to then seek out your coaching how that impacted your revenue stream and and number of clients relative to what you had forecast for 2020.
1: Oh, it was rough. Yeah, I mean it was like zero. It was like where you know I had like I had maybe like one ongoing client and where there was an expectation of having probably three or four coming in, it was like one ongoing client that was that had been with me. So, it was it was, it was rough. And, and um, even navigating, I had no idea how to navigate unemployment with the yoga studio. Like all of these things I literally had never done before. And I didn't know how to navigate this stuff. And it was not communicated well. I didn't, you know, I wasn't really sure how to navigate the system there. So like, it was, it was kind of a hot mess. (laughs) It was a kind of a hot mess. And I am grateful for my past self for being this sort of person that was like, save up money for a rainy day, because that money was 100% the thing that kept things going when things were not going, <laughs> when things but were, things not, were going, not going, basically. right. yeah.
0: Sort of that, you, you had that uh, that reserve oxygen tank for when you were underwater for just a little longer than you thought you were going to be.
1: Yeah, and I think the thing that's also interesting is that my tolerance for risk actually increased. Um, I remember at one point before everything happened thinking like, oh my gosh, you know, being stressed about the amount of savings that I had and like how long that was going to float me for and like what that actually looked like. And like, once I started getting into those reserved, I was like, whatever, it's going to be fine. You know, like I'm going to figure it out. Like we're going to figure it out. It's going to be cool. And I kind of feel like that happened where the sort of, the worst case scenario that had been imagined in my mind, I'm like, well, here we are in some version of that. And guess what? We're still just moving forward. So we're just going to keep doing that.
0: Do you think that you were able to implement any of your, of the techniques that you coach as a way to sort of cope in your own way?
1: Oh, hell yeah. I mean, from like, Take it you know getting myself out of a panic attack in the middle of a grocery store which was like all right look up look around like ground yourself in reality right from little things like that to constantly having to sort of validate my reality of of this is you know this is what's happening and these things are not predictable and like sort of redefining what success looks like on a almost regular basis um it, you know and that's one of the things with, with the techniques that I teach in the and flow process, the whole idea is to use these things when things are going well, because then they become more embodied and habitual and usual, and it's easier to pull them out in times of, of stress and panic. So a lot of this stuff, you know, I had embodied. And then I also just threw the kitchen sink at it. I mean, that's kind of what we were talking about. People not having, not being able to sleep. It's like, I was using the techniques I, I was using, I was on text threads with friends who were like supporting each other. I was, you know, like all of the things to like, keep myself sane and functional so that I can, could continuously keep showing up for my clients. Cause that's the other thing, right? I had to show up for clients when they were, when they started coming in again, I had to show up for clients and be okay because they were not okay and they need to be supported. Right. So that was like a, that's also something that depending on your, what industry you're in and what kind of work you're doing, you may or may not have had to negotiate that.
0: And as we are closing in on a year into the pandemic, how does your business stand now? Both I'm curious how progress has been made on the book and then what the timeline is for release there. And I know that's a a dangerous loaded question for any author, especially (laughs) self-published. But, and then also how have you seen, um, Clients, now that we are, you know, close to a, to a year in into this, are they coming back? Do you see more people coming towards you? What do you see for 2021?
1: Yeah. Whew. These are some, these are some tough, <laughs> tough questions. So uh, the book, it's funny, every time somebody asks me about it, I I have the same reaction, which is basically just a laugh. Um, I'm like 85% through the book. I actually uh, had a conversation with my editor last week. And she's like, you're 85% there. Um, And it's been funny with the book because I wrote the first draft of the book in literally three weeks. I wrote 40,000 words in three weeks. I just sat down, wrote it. It was like, it was one of those, like, was ready to go. But then again, there was pivots, there was edits. There's like three rounds of edits. There's another, so I'm about 85% through with the book, which is gonna then require a lot of other things like line editors. And so there's gonna be more investment required in the book in order to even get the book to do what it, it needs to do um it's been quiet it's actually been a pretty quiet um beginning of the year in terms of of getting clients in and that sort of thing and I've been sort of I had sort of my plans set for January 2021 like okay this is what we're doing this year and um and I'm I'm having a little pause with that even to be like okay is this actually what this business needs to be continuing to do is this what's actually most helpful for people because the one-on-one stuff is a big investment the group stuff seems to be more interesting to people um i think collective work is actually going to be more helpful for people going forward to be with other people so you know i've been kind of thinking about that and then also sort of looking at the runway of what is my you know what are my financial cushions here which have gotten thinner right as the year has gone through so it looks like, you know, 2021 is like, I'm going to kind of stay the course. I have literally no idea about the launch of the book at this point. Like I, cause I don't know what the capacity I have for writing it is the amount of like creativity and the amount of brain space and, and brain functioning allowed that I need to do to sit down and like write these things out. I found that my capacity for that has just diminished in general. So, um, so, I'm, I'm just going to kind of see. And I think that I will take on more projects, more, um, you know, whether it's within the specific scope of Fortitude and Flow or just other financial projects, just to kind of keep, get the business back, get another cushion underneath the business and get another way, you know, take on another investor, as they say, or as I've been saying, um, to help basically bolster the business again. Because one of the things that is, I think, does not work for me personally. And everybody's different. Like I work well with a certain amount of fire under my ass, but if it's too hot, then it's like, I can't function. So it's like, I need a, a, a certain amount of financial stability in order to be creative and feel okay. For some people, it's like, they need to hit rock bottom. And all of a sudden they're like, their genius pops up and they just you know are ready to fly mine is like not quite rock bottom mine's a little bit close to rock bottom and right now we're like a little bit lower than i'm comfortable with. so we got to get things back up
0: i i hear you i i yeah you want to be out in front of that stampede enough to think you can still outrun it totally. without being lion king mufasa <laughs> I
1: don't want to smell the Buffalo breath. Like if I can smell the Buffalo breath, which I'm pretty close to right now, that is too close for me too close for comfort. Like I'm not ready to like ride the Buffalo stampede. I just want to keep in front of it.
0: Yeah. And I, I'm glad you brought up the, the need to maybe find other, uh, other sources of of revenue to support the thing that you want to be spending your time on. Because I think that that's, that's a reality that I think, a lot of small business owners have to face in a pandemic or or not. That's just a a reality of being constrained financially in terms of how you how and when you want to grow. And sometimes you need to go back to maybe even that job that you had quit to go start this new thing or do some consulting or do, you know, or go work at you know, some hourly job, what whatever you have to do in order to maintain that that dream and, and ability to grow the company that you eventually that is the end goal.
1: Totally. And I think it's really important to to talk about that because there is a lot of shame, in my experience at least, with business owners, especially entrepreneurs, especially with solopreneurs, where it's like there seems to be a very linear timeline within like, okay, two to three years, like you should be getting some things going, you know, especially if you don't have a lot of overhead, especially if you don't have a lot of employees there's this sort of narrative around the timeline that it takes to get a business going. And if it's not profitable within this, this period of time, what does that mean about you as an entrepreneur? What does that mean about your business? Are you not doing it? There's a lot of that. And maybe this is all, maybe this is me, right? Maybe nobody else is having this issue, but no, this is one
0: of of the reasons why we started the show is because it shows like uh, how I built this and, and shark tank, I think, kind of give you this this rosy picture this this gloss and gloss over a lot of the the imperfections or the 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 rocky um you know the wrong turns and missteps and and hardships that I think the vast majority of small business owners undergo.
1: Totally. And you know like just, you know, how I built this, for example, right? It's inspiring to hear, but I'm like, I know the outcome. If you're on the show, you made it good for you. Congratulations. Like maybe there's something I can learn from your journey, but at the same time, you know, like every person in my network over 2020, every three months, each of us were looking at each other going, is it time to pick up another gig? Is it time to pick up another job? How do I balance keeping my family fed and also still trying to keep my my foot in this business. It's really important to me. And there's, and again, there's like, we were all whispering among each other because in the public eye, I think there's this perception of like, well, if your business isn't going, if your business isn't solely supporting you, then you've messed up in some way, shape or form. Like then you're not a good entrepreneur. That's not what it looks like. And the reality is, you know, and I could go off, but I'm not going to completely go off, but Right this whole issue with having our, who we are as a human being tied up with the amount of money in our bank account and what our business does or doesn't do is BS. And it's, I'm sick of it. Like, we don't know, right? Just right. All the people that you've interviewed on your podcast, it's like stuff happens out of our control and we just figure it out. And what it is, looks completely different to everybody. And some people may be shuttering their businesses and some people's business are maybe going through the roof, right? Some people are just positioned to capitalize on this moment that they could not have predicted if they had tried. So I think the balance for me, and I think the balance that I think everybody who is in a small business or entrepreneur should be aware of is like, you have to, we'll use the word again, unVelcro yourself, who you are as a human being, from what your business does or doesn't do. Because once those things are stuck together, you are, you're dead in the water. You're dead in the water because unpredictability and things that happen is part of business and you need to be okay no matter what happens in some way, shape or form. Like that's the most important thing.
0: So, so well said, Audrey, if our listeners wanna learn more about you or, and support you, what is the best way to do that?
1: So I, um, my, my site is fortitudeandflow.com, and I send out a weekly newsletter to my community where I talk all about this Fortitude and Flow process. I talk about things like why laziness is BS. I talk about ways to reform your perfectionism. I talk all about the things that um, basically help people feel more normal in a <laughs> world that feels a little bit out of control sometimes and how that is totally you know within our within our ability. Um, so fortitudeandflow.com is really the best way to stay in touch and to get on my newsletter. And then if people are into social media, heading over to Instagram is really the best way to to see what I'm up to, which is at fortitudeandflow.com. I'm sorry, at fortitudeandflow, not the dot com part.
0: Right, right. Well, Audrey, I, I, I so appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your story. So thank you.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me.
0: Thank you to my guest, Audrey Holst. Check out her personal coaching services available at fortitudeandflow.com. It's time now for my unsponsor, aka a small business run by awesome people who produce an awesome product. This week, today's unsponsor was recently founded by the mom of the owner of a previous unsponsor, Mika Yoga Wear. Laura's mom makes an incredible hot sauce that my wife is... Obsessed with and needless to say, was ecstatic to hear that it was going to be commercially available. Though currently only available on Facebook at Chilequiles Hot Sauce, it is coming soon to chilequileshotsauce.com. If you need help spelling it, well, you must not live in San Diego. But that is Chilequiles, that's C-H-I-L-A-Q-U-I-L-E-S Hot Sauce.com. For more small businesses that you should definitely support, check out smallbizgoneviral.com. Guaranteed we add two new businesses each week. Thank you, Peggy Bunker and the Bunkmates, Worldometer, NPR, Robin Hood Snack, and Morning Brew daily news emails, and a little search engine called Google. And of course, my amazing researcher, Kalen Kwan. Someday this will all be over. Until then, socially distance, wear, wash your hands, and wear a mask. You've come this far, just a little farther now. We can do it. From a tiny office in North Pacific Beach, recorded and edited before and after work hours, I'm Grant LeBeau, and this is Small Biz Gone Viral. And we're back, as always, with our quick bonus lightning round. We have lofty goals for today's lightning round. I think we have six questions. We're going to see if we can do it. Audrey, let's get to it. Yeah. Question number one, what is your least favorite question about your business to receive?
1: Um, Usually people just want to talk to me about their friend that's a life coach because they're trying to create some sort of source of connection. But usually that just makes me bristle because we have such an unregulated industry that usually their friend that's a life coach is just somebody that gives bad advice about things that they don't know anything about. And I hate being grouped into that category.
0: Brutal. Question number two, what are your biggest sources of stress from work?
1: Uh, Biggest sources of stress from work is self-management. I'm really not great at it and entrepreneurship requires a lot of it. So managing my expectations, defining success, managing my energy. I don't know what the hell I'm doing half the time. Um, Lack of clear and consistent income. Uh, I've had to really learn how to manage my emotions like big time.
0: Well, one way to express that leads us to our next question. How do you feel when your husband asks how your day was?
1: Um, at one point that actually would instantly re- like create tears. Like I would just instantly cry because I would feel like I needed to uh, – justify what I did or didn't do during the day, how I'd have to like explain my worth as what I was producing or what I got done. And um, that question actually had to be nixed from our conversations. And we've had to be more of a, like, tell me about your day as opposed to like justify your existence on this planet through your work.
0: Well, a uh, good segue there to our next question. Explain your feelings when someone you just met at a cocktail party asks, you maybe not a cocktail party, when someone you just <laughs> met asks, so what do you do?
1: Yeah, this is another one that I hear people like, I love my job so much and I love when people ask me this question. I actually don't really like this question um, for the same reason of this feeling that like, why don't we all just stand around and talk about how we make money? Because that seems to be the most important thing that I need to know about you. And I would just love for this as the touch point, like how you make money to not be the first thing that we think we need to learn about a person.
0: How do you feel when someone you've known for a really long time, whose opinion you you value when they ask you about the, the status or progress of your company?
1: <sighs> um, I know it comes from a place of caring and interest. And for me, it always creates this like gut punch because I always feel like I quote should be further along in my business, and again, we go back to that definition of success in business being related to what money you bring in. Um, so I can really be, you know, hard on myself about that, and so I try to basically like steer the conversation towards like how my clients are doing or like the impact my business is having on other people.
0: And because we're a happy podcast, what is your favorite part of being an entrepreneur? <laughs>
1: Um, the, the ability that I have to set my own values and hold myself to those, I'm not beholden to a company's so-called values. I actually can honor my humanity, honor the humanity of the people I work with and really hold steady to the things that, um, help keep me in integrity, help to create a world that I want to see. And it basically just puts like this other level of imagination possibility into the world, which I think we all can need and all can use.
0: Audrey, thank you so much for sharing. It was it was my honor to ha- having you on the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me. This was so fun.